0: Following three straight Tuesday night losses from Carolina, I'm ready to start a formal petition to officially ban Tuesdays for the foreseeable future. Welcome to Isaac's brand new six-day week. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Wednesday, February 14th, 2024. Wishing you a not-so-happy, happy Valentine's Day following the events of Tuesday night. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank in particular you everydayers for joining us to get your Tar Heels content every single day. Thanks for making us your first listen or watch. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On for twenty dollars off your first purchase. All right, let's dive right into it. North Carolina loses at Syracuse on Tuesday night, eighty-six to seventy-nine. The Tar Heels fall to nineteen and six overall, eleven and three in ACC play, and this is a quad-two loss. So you know, not devastating, devastating as the commentators were fond of saying on Tuesday night. Yes, I am bitter about that. It's like, whatever. Anyway, uh, at Ken Palm, after the refresh, Carolina is 10th, as I record this, 19th in offensive efficiency. So that's actually gone up and 11th in defensive efficiency. So that's gone down. Here's kind of the good news from an ACC standpoint. Carolina still leads the ACC, but by the skin of their teeth, thankfully, Virginia also lost on Tuesday night. So as things stand now, Duke is a half game back of Carolina and Virginia is a whole game back of Carolina. You still control your own destiny, but Carolina just keeps giving back the cushion and the buffer that everyone gives them. Okay, let's get into just talking about this game and unpacking it, the loss at Syracuse. (laughs) very seriously, I'm so glad there's no game next Tuesday. Not really because of the superstition of it, although I am incredibly superstitious as a baseball player would never step on the foul line. All of that. Like I've worn the same hoodie the last three Saturdays that Carolina has played. That's what we're talking about here. Um, But also legitimately, I'm glad there's no Tuesday because Carolina needs a rest. They've ridden their starters hard. The guys are weary from travel, as we talked about on yesterday's show, and they need this break. So Virginia Tech Saturday at home, and then whew, breather. By the way, the the no uh, banning Tuesdays joke, shout out to our guy James Wilson on the Locked on Tar Heels Discord for that uh, joke. I made it, and he was like, dude, I already made that a while ago. I was like, all right, cool. You get credit, my man. By the way, if you're not part of the Locked on Tar Heels Discord community, come join us. The link's in the show notes. Here's the other good news about Tuesdays. There's no Tuesdays in the NCAA tournament, and uh, there's only one more Tuesday game all year long because Carolina also won't be playing on Tuesday in the ACC tournament, and that's uh, at home against Notre Dame the last week of the season. So it's time to regroup. It's time to hit the reset button. We're going to look ahead to that more on tomorrow's show with Coach Rob, so stay tuned for that. I want to today, though, Unpack and live in figuring out some of the Syracuse lost multiple uh, of the Syracuse lost multiple reasons for it why the game went awry and I just want to dive right in and I want to start with something Coach Davis said post game quote for us we want to live in the paint and at the free throw line we all know this right like this is Carolina basketball always but under Coach Davis as well. Well, part of the problem in this game is that neither of those things happened. Let's start with points in the paint. I want to first take you back to the drubbing of Syracuse several weeks ago where Carolina won at home. In that game, Syracuse had 32 points in the paint. Carolina had 58. Out out points in the painting them by 26. Last night's game, Tuesday, Syracuse had 32 again. Kind of wild that it was identical. But guess what? So did the Tar Heels. So it's fine if if you're wanting to play that edge evenly. But you know I talked about how critical it was for Carolina to establish dominance inside in this game. And while they tied Syracuse, they had 26 fewer points in the paint than they did last time around. Whether that's by Mondo or attacking the rim, it doesn't matter. Carolina didn't do that well enough on Tuesday night. Secondly, Coach Davis also said, we want to live at the free throw line. And look, Carolina shot really well from the free throw line. The few times they were there, relatively speaking, for them. Carolina goes just 9 of 11 from the free throw line. So again, really high percentage. But um, And I didn't actually look back now that I'm thinking about it in real time. I believe that 11 attempts is a season low for the Tar Heels. The 9 is not. The previous season low of free throw makes, I believe, is 7. Somebody double check me on both of those. So not enough. Living at the free throw line, as Coach Davis wanted to do. Syracuse, on the other hand, eighteen of twenty five at the free throw line, so they out Carolina Carolina both in getting there and making them, and making more free throws than Carolina attempted eighteen to eleven. You just cannot have that. So, part of this was Carolina not not getting points in the paint and not getting to the free throw line was because once again they took a very high rate of three pointers. This time around, it was, um, 27, three pointers for Carolina out of their 61 total, um, field goal attempts. So 61 minus 27, 34. So, um, you know, seven more two point attempts than threes, but still that is not, uh, that, that is not the balance that this team should be looking to strike. And again, Carolina shot really well from three. They made twelve of those twenty-seven. That's forty-four point four percent. You you will take that. But this Carolina team needs to remember where its bread is buttered. And Coach Davis said it in the post game. And now his team needs to go out and execute it moving forward. If you want to live in the paint, you got to live in the paint. If you want to live at the free throw line, you got to live in the paint and get to the rim. But Carolina did neither of those things enough on Tuesday night. Consequently, they leave Syracuse without a victory. Now, I do want to say a couple things, though. Um, All that said, Carolina did fight hard. They did fight valiantly. They battled back from 10 points down in the first half to take a four-point lead, although Syracuse ultimately tied it at halftime. Second half, they battled back from nine down And man, what a, what a sequence when they tied it. Carolina was down 58, 55 with just over 10 minutes to play. Um, Harrison Ingram got his hands up. Great. I mean, it was like almost like if a defensive lineman got an interception just sticking his hands up and catching the football. Great, great job from Harrison. He starts the break, gets to Cadeau, who somehow threads a needle through two Syracuse defenders to R.J. Davis goes up, gets fouled plus a goaltending call, 58-57, he hits the free throw, and the game is tied. I don't know about you, but when that play happened midway through the second half, ball game is what I'm thinking. This is the run. This is where Carolina takes off, and it's gone. Now, that didn't happen. Syracuse took the lead uh, again, and I think got it back. I can't remember how many they got it back out to, but then Carolina eventually battled back all the way to the point where they got a one-point lead on an R.J. Davis layup, the one lead of the second half. Again, I'm thinking, oh, man, here comes this run. Carolina's figured out a way to do it. They've persevered. They're going to come down the stretch like they've done so many times this season. We've all seen it, and I thought this was yet another example of that. But, you know, do you remember what happened the very next possession? It was... So frustratingly reminiscent of what happened at Georgia Tech as Carolina's trying to make a run and Kyle Sturdivant made that ridiculous banked in three where, by the way, let me remind you, he actually traveled before he shot that. The same stinking thing happened in this game. JJ Sterling, the, the ball gets knocked out. There's about five seconds um, on the shot clock. Ball gets knocked out close to midcourt. Armando does a great job getting out on him. Doesn't go too far because he doesn't want to get blown by with just four seconds left. So Sterling just pulls and hits this stupid banked in three to give Syracuse a lead at two two point lead back. A lead that they would never then relinquish because Carolina couldn't ever get back over the hump. I like we're banning Tuesdays and we're banging banning banked in shots. (laughs) No more of that either. You know, are you with me? Come on, man. But here's the deal. Carolina still should have been able to to battle back, but they faltered in the end. We're going to talk more about that closing stretch here in a little bit. But honestly, I think part of that was Carolina's road weariness and their lack of utilizing the bench as much as they should. We were looking for more production out of the bench in this game. We got it. 10 bench points after just one bench point on Saturday at Miami. It was obviously incredible to have Seth Trimble back in the lineup. Um, He played 11 minutes, but he only played 11 minutes, and he's typically playing 18 to 22. I think some of that is just getting him back in conditioning after being gone for two games. But then only two other Tar Heels played. Jalen Washington played nine minutes. Jalen Withers played seven minutes. That's just not enough bench production, especially when you're going up against a team who is depleted and who you, who you want to try to run out of the gym. And I know Syracuse was being very deliberate with what they were doing and all of that, but Carolina had the opportunity to force the issue. Pax and logic. Look, I, He didn't play in this game, but in Seth's absence, he's played 18 plus minutes in both of those games. He's got to be at least good enough to get some minutes to help you out in these moments so that you don't have three Tar Heel starters playing the entire 20 minutes of the second half. And I think that's part of faltering down the stretch. Paxson Wojcik didn't see the floor and neither did Zayden high. So I uh, really curious to see like the bench just continues to shrink more and more and more. Now we've talked about all these things. Carolina was unable to live in the paint and at the free throw line as they wanted to, but there were some other issues and perhaps the biggest, if not those was Carolina's inability to defend, or maybe it was Syracuse's ability to make shots or maybe a combination of both. We'll talk about that in just a second, right after I tell you that this episode is brought to you by game time. We're just about a month away from college basketball conference tournaments, and maybe you don't have tickets, but your team is making a wild run. Game time would be the perfect place to get last minute tickets so that you don't miss out on all that excitement. It's the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, theater, whatever near you. GameTime has killer last minute deals, all in prices, views from your seat, and a best price guaranteed. They're the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. I love this little thing that Game Time does. It's called zone deals. You pick the section and Game Time picks the seats, but you get big time savings. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time, where you can buy tickets in seconds with just two taps. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDON for $20 off your first purchase. Again, that's $20 off your first purchase at GameTime with code LOCKEDON. Terms apply. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. All right, perhaps the biggest single issue in this game was North Carolina's defense. And quite frankly, it was unfortunately RJ and Elliott. And I think a lot of this is not their inability to defend. A lot of it is where a lot of the season they've been able to punch above their weight in terms of defending bigger um, bigger players from the opposition. But this time around with a 6'4 Judah Mintz and a 6'4 J.J. Starling, for the majority of the night, it was too much for them to handle. Simply just not enough stops for Carolina's defense. Syracuse shot 62.5% for the game, actually shot over 60% in both halves. And when we get to the shady stat of the game, I've got a wild stat for you about that. Look, Carolina did not have an answer for the Syracuse backcourt. Sterling finishes, or Starling finishes with 23 points, Judah Mintz 25. That's 48 of Syracuse's 86 points combined. And they did that very efficiently. I might add 17 of 26 combined for those 48 points, really good stuff by those guys. You got to give it to them. Um, but they were getting in the lane. They were making tough shots and making Carolina pay for their inability to guard. Here's what's weird and and confounding almost about the defense. It's been so good for so long. You know, you'll often hear me talk about Ken Palm, another one of the great statistical college basketball websites is Bart Torvik. A lot of you are probably aware of it. One of the things I love about Torvik's website is you can look at data within specific periods of time and how a team was performing there. So I want to look at Carolina's defense in the first part of ACC play. And then this uh, stretch where Carolina has lost three out of five to try to suss out what has been the issue or the culprit. I think it might be the defense. Carolina had that 10 game winning winning streak the first two of those were Oklahoma and Charleston Southern let's lop those off and start at the beginning of the main chunk in ACC play which just so happens by the way to coincide with Carolina's beginning of 2024 calendar year so when you take those eight games leading up to the Georgia Tech game where Carolina lost basically January 1st through 29th Carolina per Bart Torvik had the second best adjusted defensive efficiency in the nation in that span during the eight-game winning streak. Since then, the three losses in five games that Carolina has experienced from the loss at Georgia Tech to the loss at Syracuse last night, from that span, from January 30th through present day, Carolina's defensive efficiency is not second. It's not even 10th or 25th or 50th or 100th. It is 129th in that span. That is a massive and precipitous drop off. Carolina's got to get that figured out and get back to doing what they've been doing on the defensive side of the ball. One of the things Harrison Ingram talked about after the game, specifically in the Syracuse game, was how capably Syracuse was utilizing their pick and roll game. And he just kind of, his throw off was, we couldn't really stop it. So Carolina's got to figure something out with that whether it's continuing to reevaluate ball screen defense, whether it's better communication, whether it's as Harrison talked about um, following those comments, like just a a better pride in defending your man, or as Joel Berry talked about um, on on Twitter after the game. I forget how he phrased it, but something about uh, man your ground, basically like you got to take ownership of this, get more pride in stopping them from getting what they want. That's the thing that good defenses do is recognize what, you, what you're trying to do and stop you from getting there. Make you go to your second, third, or fourth options consistently. And th- the thing is, offensively, I thought Carolina did enough to win. If, if I gave you these, let me give you these shooting numbers, and you would say, oh, okay, great. 47.5% field goals. 44.4% from 3 and 81.8% from the free throw line while scoring 1.234 points per possession. And that's Carolina did all that while starting the second half o of 9. That makes it all the more impressive when you look at these offensive numbers. So if I just gave you those you'd be like, "Oh, great game. What was the score? You did that on the road? Way to go Carolina offense. That's great." But defensively, Carolina allowed Syracuse to score 1.41 points per possession. By far the worst points per possession Carolina's defense has given up this season. In fact, three times in the last four games, Carolina's opponent has registered three of the top five worst defensive points per possession numbers Carolina has surrendered this year. Gotta get this figured out, man. Gotta get it. Well, okay, so the defense, not so great. Let's flip to the offense, where Carolina, as I said, had great numbers or good enough numbers to win on the road, I guess I should say, and interestingly, coming into this game, one of the things I said in our preview was, hey, Syracuse isn't really playing much zone anymore, and in fact, came into this game playing it just 13% of their defensive possessions this year. I said, but they did play it a good bit of the time against Carolina in the last game, And it served to slow Carolina down, even in a game where they slaughtered Syracuse. So I'm curious to see what will happen on Tuesday night. And I'll tell you what, they played a lot of zone. Coach Davis identified, and I haven't gone back and watched it and broken down to see if this is accurate. So I'm just taking him at his word on this. I'll admit that, that Syracuse was mostly going zone after makes and going man after misses. Well, the problem is when Syracuse is hitting 60 plus percent of their field goals, they're getting back into their zone a lot, 60% of the time. That means that Carolina is having to figure out a way to go against this set defense. Now, here's the thing. Carolina traditionally does a great job against the 2-3 zone. They did much better in this game than they had against, who was it, Clemson that threw that wrinkle a little bit and and really flustered Carolina. (laughs) So I thought this was a brilliant move by Coach Autry, unfortunately, because it slowed down Carolina in the first game. So why not roll again? Even going back to Harrison Ingram, he admitted how weird it was to go against this, how it slowed down the team. That And that plays right out of UNC's hands and right into Syracuse's hands because Carolina wants to get up and go and play fast. Harrison even used the word stagnation, talking about guys just not doing what they you know, like the movement that needs to be there. And against the zone, you if you get lulled into sleep, you have played into their trap. Because the zone, you need just as much movement to be successful as you do against a man-to-man defense. You need someone flashing on the baseline back behind that line. That was one of the questions Garrett Clemens asked that we didn't get to on the live postcast. He said, in the zone, why wasn't there more player movement on the baseline? Garrett, I think honestly, a lot of that was Mondo being hobbled as he was, and not being able to do a ton in the second half. And he was there a little bit, but it it wasn't enough. I would have liked to have seen more Jalen Washington in the second half with his activity doing it, or maybe even Harrison get down there or something of that nature. Um, Brandon Willis asked a a great question on the live postcast that maybe others of you are wondering as well. He said, why were Elliott Cadeau and Harrison Ingram playing offense from the foul line? That pushed Baycott way too deep and no one was setting screens. So Brandon and others who might be wondering that same thing, it's a great question. Here's how you attack the Syracuse zone. You actually send someone to that spot in the zone because that's the soft spot. Work at getting them the ball so they can facilitate, whether it's um, finding a big down low, because then that Armando's defender has to push up and then you can find a pass around Armando Or if other guys close in on you, then you can kick to Carolina got a lot of wide open corner three looks in this game, for example. So that's why you see someone flashing there to that spot. Now, traditionally, Brandon and others, what's interesting, and I talked about, I thought it was brilliant by coach Autry to go to the zone. Here was a great move from Hubert Davis. I saw a lot of like poorly coached game kind of comments after this. I thought coach Davis's decision to put Elliot in the middle of the zone was really wise and really smart and not what you traditionally do. So I'm not here for that Coach Davis slander after this game. Because typically, you would put a Harrison Ingram, an Armando Baycott in that spot. Why? Because they're taller and they can see over defenders to be the one to distribute. Elliot is obviously not that. But he was the one camped out in the middle for the majority of this game. Why? Because he's Carolina's best facilitator. So a lot of times, RJ was serving as the de facto point guard bringing the ball up, letting Elliot get into the middle. And we saw that work multiple times. Well, getting good looks for teammates at three, finding Armando a couple times for a dunk or a, a, a nice layup at the rim. So brilliant and unique stroke of coaching by coach Davis to put Elliot there. Um, and so I'm, I'm for that. But, and and, and Elliot's number, you know, we talked about how was Elliot going to follow up the performance that he had Saturday at Miami. He didn't have the same level of scoring, but he did have seven assists and just one turnover. And I think there might've even been a couple assists that he didn't actually get credit for. And let's give the whole starting unit credit. All five starters had at least three assists in this game. How about that? That's way to share the ball, guys. We'll get to assist percentage here in just a little bit, but you can see the forerunning that it's going to be good. So uh, I liked the move of having Elliot in the middle and I thought he did a good job. But ultimately, the zone served to slow down Carolina, not let them get into the offense they want to run. And Carolina was not active enough or precise enough, consistently enough to get what they needed to get. Again, talking about settling for those threes that we talked about earlier. Now, Brandon's other question was, no one was setting screens. Well, Brandon, part of that is against the zone you Typically don't set a ton of screens, although let me give a caveat. A lot of times Carolina will actually screen the top of the Syracuse zone uh, to be able to utilize some movement that way. So you saw that some, but typically against the zone, you're not going to see as much screening action as you normally would in man defense. So um, Carolina's defense, not good enough. uh, And the zone offense wasn't precise enough enough of the night. It was at times, but not in totality. Well, after a season of mostly closing well down the stretch of games, Carolina has had some trouble doing that lately. That and the rest of the Four Corners recap coming up in just a second. Right after I tell you that this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. North Carolina, the wait is almost over. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is finally coming to the Tar Heel State on March 11th you'll be able to bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports. With FanDuel, there's tons of ways for you to get in on the action. You can bet on everything from the money line to over-unders to which team will win the next Tobacco Road rivalry this year, all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, with live betting, you can even pick like which player will put up the next bucket or the one after that or the one after that. So, see for yourself why FanDuel is America's number one sports book. Just go to fanduel.com slash locked on so you can be the first to know when FanDuel goes live in North Carolina. Once again, that's fanduel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel. All right, Four Corners recap time coming at you as we come to the final segment of today's show. Number one, just like the Miami game on Saturday. Carolina struggled to close this one out. We've already talked about when Carolina tied it up midway through the second half and I thought it was going to be the moment or when they went up by one and then Syracuse got that banked in three and never trailed again. Here's the thing about the closing stretch of basketball games. So many times this season, it has gone really right and really well for the Tar Heels. They've executed They've, they've made the plays they need to make. They've shown why this, this veteran team can do it, but in this one, not so much in the final two minutes and two seconds of the final 122 seconds of the game, Carolina who had to that point in the second half, only committed one turnover, by the way, kudos to the Tar Heels for getting road turnovers under control in this one, just 11 total instead of 11 in the first half. In the first 1758 of the second half, Carolina committed just one turnover. But in that final 122 seconds, they committed four turnovers. Two, I believe, were Cormac and two Harrison. Now, some of them, I can't squarely put it on those guys. Like uh, There was the play where it was stripped. And they had to go to this really crazy granular level to even look like maybe Harrison touched it with his pinky. I didn't think it was enough video evidence to overturn, but whatever. And then there was the other time Cormac, it was an Armando Baycott block Cormac Ryan had it. And before he could really even realize he had it or make a move, it was stripped from his hands, bounced off his knee and um, Syracuse ball. So you can't completely fault those, but it still stinks. So in that closing stretch, Carolina had essentially back-to-back-to-back turnovers, three of those four, that allowed Syracuse to build a, a four-point lead into an eight-point lead. And then, unfortunately, Cormac had another turnover with just about 34 seconds left in the heels down five at that point. Um, so again, nice job overall with turnovers, but four of those were in those closing seconds. Um, and it really hurts because, like that that first turnover I talked about, RJ Davis had just hit a three pointer to get the lead down to four. Plenty of time left on the clock. You don't even have to start fouling yet. Carolina gets a good defensive possession. Armando gets a block. It comes to Cormac and that's the play where I just talked about that it was stripped and bounced off his knee. Um, and then literally on the ensuing Syracuse possession, he almost had a defensive rebound, but it was kind of just knocked away from him and, and he couldn't corral at Cormac, unfortunately. And then he committed a foul and Syracuse goes to the free throw line. Like it's just, that's the way this game went down the stretch. Sometimes like some of that is, is not being strong enough with the ball. Sometimes the ball just doesn't bounce your way. That's sports, man, especially life on the road. I don't like it, but, but we deal with it. And that whole sequence took a critical minute off the clock in when you only had like two and a half minutes left. And by the way, with all these reviews, too many of them, too long. Let's go. I know you you we gotta get calls right. I hear you. But there were four, five, six stoppages of play for reviews. Crazy. Four corners recap number two. Carolina did not take enough advantage of interior opportunities. Look, this needed to be a massive, massive Armando Baycott game. And look, he had good numbers. 14 points, 10 rebounds was efficient from the field. Perfect from the free throw line. I will take all of that, but it needed to be more. He had nine field goal attempts. I wanted 15. That's what we're talking about. Instead, you know, other guys were taking more shots and not as efficient. Armando was going up against a depleted front line and even at times really, really inexperienced players. And so that needed to happen. Now, Armando, great stuff! Fourth double double in a row. That's the first time this year he's done that. Interestingly enough, Um, and and there there were these moments where Carolina showed their veteran savvy play. They got um, I forget which big it was. Got his second foul, had to go to the bench with five and a half left in the first half. Carolina immediately goes inside to Armando, easy layup. There just wasn't enough of that in this game. Carolina again allowed the Syracuse zone to kind of dictate the terms of engagement, and they didn't make it happen. But again, congrats to Mondo and Harrison for both getting double doubles in both Syracuse games. Uh, Harrison had a 14 and 11 in this one. Four corners recap point number three. We talked about this some um, following the Miami game, but it kind of the trend continued a little bit. RJ Davis's shooting, particularly from two, let me give you the numbers of the last four games two point field goals. He's been nine of 35, which is 25.7%. And what's even weirder is that in the four games before that, he was 28 of 48, which is 58.3% on two-point field goal attempts. Why has it cratered so much? But also, weirdly, in the same stretch where he's shot 25, 26% from two, he shot 43.2% from three, 16 of 37 in these last four games. So what's going on there? I've got a couple thoughts. Let me give those to you. I think defenses, the way they're playing RJ is tougher right now. <laughs> they're saying we're not going to allow RJ to be the one to beat us. That started with Duke really, you know, corralling him. And that's kind of been a, a, a game plan lately. So Carolina is going to have to figure out how to get that going. I think some of it is tired legs. We go back to the conversation we already had about Carolina, not utilizing enough bench. Hopefully Seth will get back into to game shape um, and, and can give RJ more of a blow and breather. Um, and I also haven't gone in depth on this to look at, at the shots and other things, but it feels like RJ has been having to take more late shot clock shots later. And I know a lot of times those would end up being threes, but he doesn't settle for that. He'll get into the lane, but still, uh, that, that could be a factor as well. So, uh, just, just odd. So we're going to keep our eyes on RJ's two point field goal percentage going forward a little bit. Um, but to RJ's credit, extends his Carolina record streak of making multiple threes in a game, 22 straight games. Now he's made multiple threes in 23 of 25 games this season. And at least one made three in every game this season from RJ Davis, what he's doing is insane. Do not forget it. All right. Finally. And fourthly on our four corners recap is Carolina's assist percentage was 65 and a half percent in this game, 19 assists on 29 field goals. That's tied for the second highest assist percentage this season behind only the Tennessee game. And what's interesting is this is now five straight games for the Tar Heels where they've been able to assist on 50% or more of their made baskets. But weirdly, that also coincides with Carolina losing three of five. Hmm. So that's just something I'm trying to reckon with because I love assist percentage. I love teams sharing and playing well. But in these five games where they've been over 50%, they've lost three of them. Is there a correlation there or is it just random uh, coincidence? I I haven't put enough brain power to that yet and I want to keep thinking about it. But these five straight games of 50% assist percentage or higher is the second longest streak of the Hubert Davis era. All right, finally, the shady stat of the game. I told you I had a wild bonkers number about Syracuse's field goal percentage in this game. And while we're still calling it the shady stat of the game, this actually comes from Matt Bowers, who's part of the the Carolina sports information team and, and does the write up typically after games. He said this, quote, it was the first time an opponent shot at least 60% in both halves against North Carolina since February 14th of 2015. That's almost exactly nine years ago to the day since someone has had the kind of shooting day that they did against the targets. So I say that to say, yes, the defense was not good enough. But also Syracuse shot made their shots. And, and those two things have to go hand in hand. Like your defense could be bad and the opponent can miss shots. And it, it looks like you had a good defense, right? Um, but so kudos to, to Syracuse for taking advantage. But again, so you're not going to win many ball games when a team's doing that. But also, you're not going to see many ball games where that happens. I expect that to be a one-off, not uh, the rule. I expect that to be the exception, not the rule. So um, reminder, now you've got an opportunity in front of you six remaining regular season games again you still control control your own destiny in the acc race you've got four of those games at home including back to back to back games and the two remaining road games while they are probably your toughest two remaining road games virginia and duke are the you know two not the closest the duke one's the closest and virginia is one of the closer road games so gotta get it together gotta figure it out down the stretch We'll see how Carolina responds on Saturday. The way things are going, it's kind of guaranteed to win because win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win <laughs> if the pattern holds. That's it for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. Thanks so much for joining me as we have a therapy session after we all, as we always do after a loss. Come join us in the Locked on Tar Heels Discord community. The link's in the show notes. If you haven't already subscribed to our show, we'd love to have you do that on audio and video. If you're watching, smash the like button so we know you were here as well. It's always a great day to be at Tar Heel. We'll talk again tomorrow with Coach Rob. But until then, peace.